I told him, outstanding job, and use this as a springboard going forward. And we're going to need these kind of outings from him going forward for us to get to where we want to go. Um, so he was great about it and understood that it was one outing you know, after a, a little bit of a layoff. And uh, we're looking for more of the same going forward from him. It was Jay's manager, John Schneider, discussing Yusei Kikuchi's performance last night. Five innings pitched, two hits, an earned run, five strikeouts, one walk. Tyler Alexander took the loss for Los Tigres. Four innings pitched, mm. five hits, three runs, two earned. You like the way he did it, eh? Mm. One strikeout, one walk. I hope that's what they're called. And uh, Jordan Romano got the save as 22nd. Four outs. Jordan Romano. Like an old school closer. Mm. Sucking it up. It's fine. Second time in uh, five games, six days, that uh, Jordan Romano. You sound surprised. Answered the bell. I'm not surprised. I just, I, I still have a little, little question there. That's all. That's all. Look at velocity. He has that. He'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's all. I'm not saying that I don't think he can do it or anything like that. I'm just, I, a little question. Mm. That's all. Let's bring in Caleb Joseph, Blue Jay Central analyst, former MLB catcher. Mr. Joseph, thank you for joining us as always. A happy Friday to you. Um, I know that you watched last night's game. I know you poured over, you say, Kikuchi's outing. Tell me what you saw. Well, I as as Barker alluded to, Yesterday, as Joe Siddle alluded to as Buck, the, the fastball usage was, was great. And, yes, were there some uncompetitive misses? Absolutely. The more that he threw it, it looked like the more that he got it in the zone, the more conviction he had. He started doing that, bouncing around after he releases the ball like he's on a pogo stick. Uh, that's when you know he's feeling good. And when he starts kind of flying arms and legs and, and hands going right after he lets go of the pitch, he's starting to feel a little bit froggy. And so... I thought as the outing went on, um, I, I love the way he used the fastball. That, that's a huge point of emphasis, right? But for me, it's the split. I mean, per uh, a baseball savant, he threw the split 15 times as opposed to only 14 sliders. And I'm just, I'm just so excited about that. I've been kind of banging that drum for a while now, and he got so many um, weak swings. He got uh, Baez on a couple weak grounders with that split. He had some really awkward swings. He was unpredictable. And uh, again, like you guys have highlighted before in the last couple of days, the return of Danny Jansen is just so evident for people who really, really understand sequencing and game calling. He was unpredictable. And Danny made him throw what he needed to throw in certain counts. And I was trying to follow along in terms of what he would normally do in terms of patterns. And he was not following his normal patterns. And you saw some of those type of swings from the Detroit Tigers last night. A lot to unpack there. Uh, explain to us why the fastball usage matters so much to you say. For me, it's, it puts his hand placement in the right spot to get on top of that slider. So if his hand is on the side of the ball, that fastball is going to miss high and arm side, which would be high and inside to a left-handed batter. And then he tries to throw that split, and if your hand is on the side of the ball, that split's going to have some real funky action, a la Kevin Gosman. When he gets on the side of it too much, it starts to plane out, which means it has more 
left to right break than up and down north south break and so it's all about hand placement I, I feel like i've said that till i'm blue in the face not only on this show but other platforms as well when he's able to get that finger over thumb under the ball he gets that true rotation he gets really good zip on that fastball and it puts his hand placement in a better spot for the split and for that slider i Yes, I, I almost croaked when fourth pitch of the game, I think it was, to uh, Robbie Grossman, his first slider gets walloped down the left field line before he'd even swung the bat. I'm going, here we go again. But you made the adjustment. Yeah, he left a hanger to, uh, uh, who, what was his name, Castro maybe, one yeah. of the Castros yeah. for the home run, hits off the top of the wall. But other than that, I thought the depth on that slider was much better. And most of that is because he's in the right spot. If your hand is not on top of that ball, ripping on top of that seam, it gets on the side. And when you get on the side, you throw more of a sweeper. And I like the, the, the separation in terms of uh, uh, speed with his, with his slider. I thought it was a good speed between 83, 84. Mm-hmm. Now you're, if the fastball's up there around 93, 94, now you got a 10 mile hour difference, but I like the depth of that. And, Mainly, it's because he got going with that fastball, got his hand in the right place, and now he's able to to continue to produce that same slot, and the pitches start to fall into place. If you're catching that, can you see thumb under the baseball to make an adjustment? If I could see thumb under the baseball, I would have seen this dot on a slider, and I would have hit 600 <laughs> in the league, and I would I would own the radio station, not just coming on as a guest. So um, it's only about location. I mean, well, yeah, and honestly, Barker, it, the ball tells you what's going on. Yeah. You can you can see the spin. You can see that funky spin. And, yeah, you can't necessarily see, like, thumb under, but you can see the slot. And there are certain guys in certain ballparks, you just, as a catcher, you're facing that pitcher. You know his arm's coming out of a certain seat or a certain sign, and there's just places you can cue off of and look off of. So if he's under it, if he's over it, you start looking at that hand placement. But the technology these days is so unbelievable and that you can slow-mo that hand and see exactly where you're at. I love it when they give those slow-mo actions. And you can just see guys' hands, where their actual hand placements are at on the baseball. And so, yeah, you can you can see better arm slot, but it's it's a little bit more difficult. Well, you, just wonder, this, you, just, well, you just wonder why Danny's doubling up on the same pitch. You throw a bad one, he'll throw a good one. Well, it tells that pitcher, I know why you threw a bad one. That's why I'm doubling up and asking for it again, because I want you to do it right. Right, and what that does is it instills confidence. So it's just another trick from a catcher that a lot of times as a youngster you see that bad one, and it's easy to go away from it. And then sure enough, you need it three or four pitches later, and you're asking a guy to execute a perfect one right after he just threw a a bad one in terms of four or five pitches later, and there's stress involved. And so the hitter's not thinking, oh, man, that was a dud. He didn't didn't throw that one again. So it's that kind of making an adjustment off of an adjustment. That's the chess move that you're trying to play back there. I mean, 12 and 19 when Danny was not in the lineup uh, in this last DL stint, and they're on a heater. They were on a heater previously right before he got injured. Don't ever underestimate. I know you guys have been beating this drum pretty well. Don't underestimate the value of, of experience behind the plate. Danny has come in and just really allowed some guys to settle back into their groove. You know, one of the things – Talking about Danny, I, I, I went back and listened to a, an, an interview we did with him just after Kevin Gossman was acquired. And he was talking about catching guys who throw splitters and how, you know, he said he was going to have to try to find a split splitter machine that he could work with in the offseason and things like this. But one of the things I've noticed 
with Danny. And I know they talked about it in the telecast last night. Barker's mentioned it. I know you've mentioned it as well. The the way he sets up, the width, the, the way he spreads his legs out, the mm-hmm. way he presents the target when he knows that he's catching a guy who whose splitter needs to be good in that particular night. That's not the easiest thing to do for a catcher, is it, Caleb? No, it's not. And he, he's a big boy, and he's got big muscles, and for him to have that type of flexibility is something else. And, look, I, I was always taught be the biggest target you can be so that that pitcher has sort of like a runway, like train tracks. He's trying to throw it through your knees, and he's got a really good visual sight line. And that was my whole gig. And that's why I go into this one knee stuff and, and trying to really get that low pitch and you start kind of crouching and bending that upper back. You, you just kind of start to get smaller and smaller mm-hmm. and smaller. And so um, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to throw a baseball, what seems like through a little peacup, right? Well, yeah. Danny's back there with this massive target and it gives the pitcher that sight line of, I'm just going to throw it right through his check Nike sign on his, chest protector and let it rip and he's in a position too where he's able to block and that is is a don't underestimate that i can't tell you how many times i've seen balls in the dirt where guys are advancing going from first to second into scoring position or goodness even third to home for a run because guys are on a knee and they can't move danny's an excellent blocker and from that position he can move laterally so quickly and that split has a mind of its own sometimes it goes left sometimes it goes right sometimes it goes straight down and for him to be in that position he's ready for their worst one so what it does it continues to instill uh, confidence to throw the mess out of that pitch knowing that i've got a guy that can literally block it from from uh the left side of the plate to the right side of the plate and and we're not going to give up 90 feet caleb what are you seeing with matt chapman at the plate well, that's funny you ask. I, I, I talked to Dave Hudgens last time I was in Toronto, and I said, what, what are you guys working on? Because he and Chapman were having some really close contact during batting practice. And I thought he was really trying to plane, you know, level his plane out. But he talked about really his swing direction. He's always kind of been like a, a down and across type of hitter with a flat bat, which will produce a lot of pull side grounders, grounders to shortstop, grounders to third base. But he and Dave Hudgens have really been working on his direction, which means trying to get that bat moving towards the middle of the field. And he thinks he's got power to go to right center. Look, this guy's like Popeye. Okay, he is a massive human. And I remember playing against him in Oakland, and I had no idea he was really that big. The uniform is too loose, man. I mean, if I if I was him, I'd be skin tight in that sucker and showing off the pipes. You'd be Robbie Raying it, man. You (laughs) got to Robbie Ray that body. You do. Spray on. That's right, but um, no, he's a massive guy. So, and like you said last night in, in the uh, Jay's talk, Barker, he's just got to meet the ball. I mean, this guy's got mm-hmm. he's got Samson strength. I mean, it's unbelievable. And so, working on his direction, getting him towards the big part of the field, is trying to eliminate a lot of those early barrel releases, which is the grounder to left field. And that changeup last night was a perfect example of just holding onto that barrel, trying to work it to center, and you catch it out in front, but your barrel's still lagging and you're able to get it in the air versus releasing that barrel, that ball now is rolling over to the third base because the barrel has outraced the hands. And I'm telling you, before it's all said and done, I would not be surprised if his power starts to shift more to left center, center, and right center. He's hit a couple balls to right center that have been super impressive. But what that lag does is it allows him to hit that sinker inside, 
and kind of feel like he's getting jammed, but he's so strong that that barrel and the angle of the barrel still lagging back, he can get slightly jammed and still hit it out to left center and still be protected for that slider down and away so he's not having to cheat to get to it. He's been impressive, and his work ethic has been really impressive. I just I can't believe the strides really that he's made on offense because he had power, but he, he was he was a 220-230 hitter when I played against him. He's starting to really figure some stuff out, and that turns into a scary player. I mean, if he can play defense and hit, goodness, goodness. Yeah, it's, you know, and the thing is, and I've talked to Bo about this the last couple of days, guys like Bo and Chapman play every day. So if you play every day, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's a grind. People will say, oh, come on. 221 to 240, that's 19%. Now, when you play every day, it is a grind to drag your batting average up from 219 to 241 because you're getting four ABs, you're playing the hell out of the, you know, out of the game defensively, and you are, I mean, Matt Chapman, I think, is the most irreplaceable defensive player in that team. If he finishes the year around 250 or 255, that is going... That's going to be a real feather in his cap because that's a yeah. that's a lot of everyday grinding. I totally agree, and you know, with that two fifty, there's going to be power sprinkled in there just because that's the type of of strength that he has. And yeah, you're right; he's played unbelievable defense. And you're talking about this guy hitting seven, eight, nine yeah. in your lineup. It's uh, we continue to talk about length of lineup, and that the really, really good teams. There's no break in that lineup where. A pitcher can come in and say, okay, I'm, I'm at 7, 8, 9. I've got an easy inning here. Absolutely not. There's threats up and down that Toronto Blue Jays lineup, and uh, especially with Chapman really starting to get hot. I don't think this is a fluke by any means because, remember, goodness, four, six weeks ago, he was hitting into some really hard, loud outs. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing for this to kind of pop up out of nowhere. This has been going on. This is a trend that is continually moving upward, and I think this is for real. I think I think he's really starting to figure some stuff out. Alec Manoa will get the start tonight. Uh, he's been pushed back a day. You know, I think we, you know, everybody agrees he, he was laboring a lot in the last start. Still, he still got the job done, but he, but he was laboring. Uh, you know, the All-Star week was, there was a lot going on. Flying to L.A., I guarantee you that Alec Manoa didn't get, I guarantee he didn't get the bet at 10 o'clock too many nights. Uh, the All-Star game. I, I hope he didn't, because I sure as hell wouldn't if I was Alec Manoa. But, uh what are you looking for tonight? Because I think, you know, that, that the fact that he labored in his last start, Kevin, at least started people talking about, okay, let's start looking again at the innings. How are we going to manage this down the road? Hey, if this team goes to the playoffs, you could be looking at another four or five starts if you go all the way. And if you go all the way, you know, Alec Manoa is getting the ball. Are, are you going to be watching tonight to see, how he responds to that and, and maybe try to get an idea of what the next steps will be going forward? Yes, absolutely. This is sort of a trap game too, right? So you're coming off a really high uh, with the All-Star game, and now you're facing the Detroit Tigers, which outside of Scope, Baez, um, Cabrera, they're a pretty weak lineup. I mean, mm-hmm. let's just face it, they're, they're not very good. So these are kind of trap stars, and – I think he's the right guy for, for this, that type of mindset. And I don't, I don't think he's going to take it as a trap start, but it has that potential. And so to see him kind of ramped up and just being efficient with the pitches, they're going to sprinkle in some left-handed hitters in there. And I'm, I'm on the changeup board. I, I, I really believe that the work with a changeup is just going to continue to help him 
navigate those left-handed hitters because yes you have the back door slider to left-handers you have that back foot slider i'm not worried about right-handers at all but something soft moving away from the left-handed hitters is just so necessary as a starter in that it starts to really you don't get boxed into one side of the plate he's got that come back to seam on the inner half but if he can get something moving away that inner half that two seam becomes even more exploitable if that's even a word Mm -hmm. and so you start you really get guys looking to both sides of the plate he's got the heater up and away but outside of that i really think if he can continue to work on that change up man two three months ago i thought he was really starting to figure it out when he had that start at cleveland i love the action on that change up and then as most really really good pitchers find Sometimes they just don't need it. And before you know it, you just kind of abandon it. You throw it three or four times to start, and then playoffs happen, and then you all of a sudden might need that change-up. So I think teams are going to stack the lefties against him from here on out, uh, just trying to give themselves any sort of chance. You saw what New York did, right? Mm -hmm. They pulled a full-on line change with Carpenter, Hicks. They set LeMayhew and even Stanton, I think, um, trying to get left-handers against them, even their best right-handers they were sitting because that matchup is so flip-flopped. I would love to see him utilize the backdoor slider change-up combo, get their eyes looking out there as best as they can, and then just pop them inside. I think that's a really good recipe, but you can't expect to have that pitch in September or October if you haven't really done some work to feel out that release point and how those things are going to happen. So think, I hope he can utilize that today. Do you think innings will matter with him this year? Oh, man, I, I sure hope not. I mean, if there's one guy in the organization that can handle, that looks physically like he can handle yep. a, a massive jump, it's that guy. He's a horse, and you've talked about it over and over and over. But until you stand up next to this guy, He's a Mack truck, folks. He's a Mack truck, and he's a massive, massive guy. And if there's like, and it's the look, the the velocity is just easy. It's free and easy. He doesn't look strained really at any point, and that's what's so encouraging to me. These guys that are, like you said, high octane, just full on, 100% release point. Those are the guys you just kind of, not necessarily worry about, but you you. You just love it when you have a guy that is just super free and easy and his huge body, he's, he uses his legs so well, and those things are tree trunks. I think it's I think it's repeatable. I, I wouldn't worry about it, but, look, I'm just a country boy from Tennessee. I, I don't know about load management. <laughs> Caleb, we appreciate You're you doing this, man. I, I, I think you know about load management, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you have to learn how to how to really manage your load when you're playing once a week in the big leagues as here, a backup here. catcher. Boy, it's tough. Well, there's there's tough. an act to that. That's not, it's, it's an art. It, it's not the easiest thing. It is not. Hey, I, I'll tell you one thing, and, and I'm not trying to get off on a tangent here, but it is so hard to hit when you play once or twice a week. So everybody get off these guys' cases and start to appreciate Rymel Tapia for as he's not playing every day and comes in and produces. That is the hardest thing to do in baseball is to come off the bench playing once or twice a week and stink at hitting. It's so daggum hard. And that's why I was a 220 hitter. If I'd have played every day, I'd have been a Hall of Famer. No question. <laughs> You're a Hall of Famer in our books, Caleb. Thanks for doing this, man. Way to go. You guys are great. See you All soon. Right, we'll see you. Take care. That's Caleb Joseph, Blue Jay Central Analyst, former catcher. It is impossible. Tapia kicking his knee to his ear, trying to get it down, take big daddy hacks. It's impossible to do what he's doing. Caleb was right. It's it's not the easiest thing to do, but you got to buy into it. Yeah. You, you got to say, I got to figure this out, give myself a chance. And they're getting it done. Give them credit. Yeah, and, and Tapia is 
you know, I I look at Rymel Tapia and I wonder like I wonder I wonder how how much of a routine because he's such a I mean you look at the guy, you want to talk about guys who are athletic. Look mm-hmm. at the guy's guy, his percentage of body fat, he's gotta be the lowest in the team percentage body fat. I mean, he looks to me, it looks to me hey, like He's a okay. Oh, thank you. Man. Yeah, Teos. Yep, I stand corrected. But Ooh. but Tapia looks like a sprinter. He does. Tapia looks like a sprinter. He's got that mm-hmm. that body type, and I just don't know how you would, given the way he plays, given the way he hits, given the fact that you know you talk about him having happy feet. I don't know how you'd work on that to keep to keep all that ready to go. You know, because it's not like I don't think you look at Toppy and go, "Man, that's a smooth I really swing," think, and there's not much going on. I think they do a good job of keeping him in the flow of the season. They play him enough. Hey, he's, not, he's a fourth outfielder. Not going to play him all the time, but they play him enough to that it matters that they can get the foot down, and you know he can do things defensively and running the bases, and it sort of gloves off with him. Yeah. Go do your thing. When we write your name in a lineup, whether it's leading off, whether it's ninth, eighth. Go do your thing. You got the green light. We're not going to, you know, do anything to keep you from being who you are. And that's really something they don't have, quite frankly. No. It, and when he's in the game, he, chaos, puts a lot, he, he puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Now, there's, there's, I, I still think there's something to be said for just for chaos in a game. Sure. Like for a guy that, that you just don't know, you don't know what Look can happen. Look at the way dudes run the bases. It ain't good. No. And when you got a guy that knows how to go first to first to second, <laughs> tag up on a ball second to third, go first to home. You know, it yeah. sounds simple, and every big leaguer should be able to do it. But a, a baseball fan who watches games like I do, like you do, like a lot of baseball fans do, watch how teams run bases. It's not good. There's a reason you made this point a couple of months ago, and I and I've I've thought about it. About we're talking about good teammates. And you say, you know what a good teammate is? A good teammate is a guy who makes the right decision tagging up, who makes the right decision taking the extra base, who makes the right decision so that you get an RBI if you're a run producer. Sure. And one of the things, you can see why Toppy is so popular in that team because if you come up to the plate and he's in second base. If I battle you know, against a really tough pitcher and I, and I luck out and square one up and hit a ball in the gap and he scores on a ball he shouldn't have scored on, Huh. You love him. I'm You're buying him. him dinner. Oh, no no question. You know, listen to Dan when Kirky's on second base on how he talks about how big the secondary lead needs to be. It's little things like that. A small lead, a big secondary lead. Mm-hmm. You don't want to draw attention to yourself, but you want to cut corners. You want to get big leads. Getting a big lead doesn't mean you start with a big lead. It's that you end up with a big lead, and then your momentum – when you're landing on your right foot, everybody lands on their right foot. Good base runners do. When you take your little shuffles and you're getting your momentum on that right foot to where you're wanting it to go towards your target, you don't have to be a fast runner to do that. you got to want to run the bases, and he wants to run the bases. It's fun, it's fun to watch him on the bases. I, it's, and, again, you can tell why they wanted him on their team yeah. because he brings something. Like it's And, and to, you know, to listen to people that cover the Blue Jays and, and – and just watch baseball as much as I do. Caleb, Joe Siddle, Buck Martinez. They talk about that guy, and it's it. He brings something. Yeah. No, he. Uh, you know, when you when you look at that trade, and I know initially, 
A lot of people were saying, well, I mean, Randall Gritchick's a good defensive center fielder, and, you know, how could they trade Gritchick and the power for this? Exactly. He's right-handed. Exactly. And this guy's faster than he is. And very quietly, you know, I am with you. They do need another, they need a left-handed bat, preferably one who can play every day. But I have to say this, between Tapia and Biggio, the gap has narrowed this year because they they both... Biggio's a productive hitter now. Toppy is a productive hitter. You're right. It's still too right-handed heavy, but I don't. Biggio comes up to pinch hit now. Tapia comes up to pinch hit. To me, I'm not. It's it's not like I'm giving away Kevin's that. Kevin's a bat. great base runner too. You give him credit. He might be one of the best base runners on the team. The way he cuts angles, the way he gets his lead, the way he takes a secondary lead. It's the little things that can make you a good base runner. Not to be the fastest guy on the planet. Mm-hmm. But you got to know how to right. Don't draw attention to yourself. Don't get a big lead at second base when everybody on the field and everybody watching knows you want you have to score on a single to left field. It's how you go about it. It's how you get your lead. It's how you want to get your lead. And there's something too that you have to work on. It you have to be a smart baseball IQ player. And those guys add something to a really good team. That's why Kevin Bishio now would be tough to give up. Because he gives you something that nobody else on the team can give you. He can run the bases. Like, it, it would be okay late in the game for him to pinch run for Kirk. Yes. Oh, like, that's a, that's a thing. Like, absolutely. going first to third allows you not to have to get an extra hit. And when you get in the playoffs and you're facing them dudes who know how to add and subtract and velocity and punch you out, probably not going to get three or four hits in a row. The question was asked on our show very, very early in the season about Kevin Biggio when he was scuffling. Would Kevin Biggio have a role if the Jays made the playoffs? We were having that discussion. Sure. Both of us, I think, agreed. I certainly said that I didn't think he'd I didn't think he would. Now you can see this Kevin Biggio winning games for the Jays, or at least contributing to wins in the postseason, just as I've been telling people all along when they were talking about Ryan Maltapia. This guy is going to win games for you in September. I mean, he is going to go first to home let me ask you and a win you a game it, in September. When a game matters in the playoffs, if he say he is playing second base, you have to switch. You have to bring right. him in a game. Balls hit to him with I two no outs. You okay with that? With that? Damn right. He's playing left field. Ball hit to him. You okay sure, with that? Absolutely. Right field. You okay with yep. that? That's what I think is. There's a reason why the Guardians, when the Blue Jays were talking about Ramirez, wanted to him in the deal, and we know that. Like yeah. I was sitting beside the, the scouts that were there. Watching Kirk, he walked to the bathroom. I was there. Mm-hmm. And that's the conversation. There's a reason why that is. He has a high baseball IQ. There's, there's no question about that. He can play all over the field, and he can run the bases. And I'll say this. Everybody sort of rolls their eyes about the running the bases. That's a thing. It, it, Dusty Baker brought me back to the big leagues at the end of my career because I was a good base runner. With the Reds, that's a fact. No question. I had power, and I could run into one. But it was he was pinch running me late in games. I'm a big dude. Yeah, 230. You wouldn't think I could run the bases. But for a guy like that manager, because I took pride in it, I wanted to run the bases. I thought I was good at it. I wanted to cut the corners. I didn't need the third base coach to tell me what to do. I already knew what to do. Kevin Bishio's in that boat. Jesse Rogers is ESPN's national baseball writer. Lots of Juan Soto rumors. Maybe some Shohei Otani nibbles as well. We'll talk to Jesse Rogers about that and maybe get a sense from Jesse what he thinks the Blue Jays may be up to as we go into the final weekend 
before the trade deadline. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Some questions for Kevin Barker, part of Barker's back leg bits. We will get to that in a minute. Uh, a reminder that even though it is a long weekend, uh, Mr. Barker and myself will be on the air Monday. Mm-hmm. Of course, we'll be on the air Tuesday as well as we uh, take you up to the Major League Baseball trade deadline, which is 6 Eastern on Tuesday. And, of course, there are a lot of expectations that the Blue Jays will be active in the trade market. One of the teams that uh, the Jays have been linked with. And in point of fact, a team that we know uh, has had uh, scouts following uh, the Blue Jays minor league teams, including uh, including at the single A level with, with Vancouver, is the Chicago Cubs. Now, that's no surprise. The Cubs have David Robertson in the bullpen. Uh, they've got Ian Happ, who both of whom would fit very nicely uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays and uh, in, in the case of Ian Happ, a guy that has been linked to the Blue Jays really since the start of the season when we started wondering, okay, what what might the Jays be a little shy and what 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 might they, they be looking to do down the road? Jesse Rogers is ESPN's national baseball writer. He's based in Chicago and he joins us on Blair and Barker. Jesse, thanks so much for joining Kevin and myself. I mean, I... Look, as I said, we know that the we know that the Cubs have have been scouting the Jays. That's you know Ben Nicholson Smith has written that. We know people in Vancouver. I mean, it's not it's easy to find out when somebody's when a team is really all in on another team in terms of scouting. What would it take to get Ian Happ and David Robertson and or David Robertson and in particular for Ian Happ? Tell me exactly what a team that acquires Ian Happ would be acquiring. Well, let's start with that. I mean, you're going to get the best version of Ian Happ. That's why he's on the market, even though he has another year of team control. The Cubs can, will never get more than right now for him. He's playing at his best and has a year and two months before free agency. A solid switch hitter before he was just basically um, a guy that had some slug from the left side, didn't do much from the right side. Now he's as devastating from the right side as he is from the left. Um, you know, the power is kind of evened out a little bit, but that's okay because he's become a more solid hitter all around. And he's actually turned himself into a better defender in the outfield, very solid left fielder um, in a pinch can play uh, the right side of the infield second, or even first, if you need, if you need it and actually could play center and right as well, but has become a, a solid left fielder. Doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, uh, but I'd say that's the only knock against him right now. So he is playing at his best, and that's why there's a slew of teams interested in a guy that can hit from both sides of the plate and play good defense. Do you think the Cubs would want a lot or top prospects, like one or two instead of three or four for him? I think one or two. I think they, they, they've they gathered prospects over the last couple of years, more quantity over quality. Mm-hmm. Um, may, maybe there's a can't miss that they, that they got uh, last year when they traded Brian Bias Brian, but it's not – um, as a, as obvious as you'd want it to be. So I think they'd be looking for more of the can't miss type number, number one type prospect. 
you know, if they do trade Wilson Contreras somewhere else, they'll, they'll probably need a catcher. You know, you guys have Kirk and Gabriel Moreno, you know, uh, so maybe, maybe Moreno's expendable. If you have a starting pitcher that's ready to knock on the, uh, on the major league door, um, uh, they would take that. Uh, they, 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 they're really trying to gather up, hit gobble, gobble up pitchers. They did that during the draft. They think, I think they think they're pretty good position player wise, other than a left-handed slugger. Um, young one to come up and you know replace Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber and those guys, uh, but of course Toronto doesn't have a ton of lefty sluggers at the major league level, so I don't know what what, what the minors look like. But that's the, I think qua- quality over quantity is this year's um, sort of narrative for the Cubs more so than last year. Uh, Jesse, if you were the Blue Jays, what would you be looking to do in this market? Understanding what the ground looks like right now and understanding that it can shift in the next 24, 48 hours. Somebody makes a deal, that leads to another deal being made. But from where we are right now, from your vantage point, what should the Blue Jays be focusing on and where do you think they might be able to find a little bit of joy? Yeah, well, let me say this. It's a very unique team. Um, I'm, I'm a guy that kind of is obsessed with left-handed hitting, and you, you see the market move on those guys and no one else so far, Vogelbach, Benintendi, Naquin, um, and I'm sure you guys have talked about it, but you're an interesting team. The, the Blue Jays hit righties well. They're at the top of the league, but only have 13 home runs, which is at the bottom of the league, from left-handed hitters. I feel like in the playoffs, you're going to need to run into a home run or two from the left side when you're facing Max Scherzer and uh, Justin Verlander. You know, pick your name of top right-handed pitchers that you might face in the playoffs. Uh, regular season is one thing, but, but you know, Toronto's OPS against right-handed pitching is great. Awesome. But to be dead last in homers from the left side, I think you need to find that somewhere. Hap could provide a little bit more of that. I don't think you have to overhaul your offense, though. I think if you add just one left-handed hitter, of, of, whether it's a platoon guy, a starter, bench guy even, I think that kind of balances the lineup out. You're not going to dramatically change your lineup at this, this late stage, and it's a good lineup as is. So that'd be one thing. And then I would just fortify on the pitching staff, both starter and reliever. If you can get Luis Castile, you add that to the top of the rotation, awesome. If you can get David Robertson, if you can get – um, there's a several Cub pitchers, actually. Michael Givens, um, you do that to the middle back end of, of your bullpen. And then you just hope your best players are your best players, right? Um, you had a taste in the playoffs, and now you, you, you try to take that experience and go to the next level. But you, the deadline for, for good to great teams, it's just augmenting, right? You, you know, the White Sox here in Chicago, where I am, need to maybe make a bigger move. I'm not sure they could even change the, the heart in soul of their team, they're probably just going to add relievers. So that's the way I kind of look at the Blue Jays. Or, uh, at the beginning of the year, I would have said they don't have enough left-handed hitting to hit righty pitching. But they are hitting righty pitching okay. That can change in the playoffs. So one left-handed bat is certainly a need while augmenting the pitching staff. Where do you think Soto goes? Well, everyone likes to say the Padres are the leader in the in the clubhouse right now. I, 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 I think the Dodgers are going to get in the mix. Before before it's all said and done, if he gets moved, I'd put the Dodgers still number one. I guess the Padres are there. I don't like what the Padres have to offer unless they really unload their farm system. They don't have the major league players that are attractive in my world. If I'm Mike Rizzo of the Nationals, so it it, it their strength has to come from the minors, and they do have some top prospect. The Dodgers and the Cardinals can do a good mix of major league players, current major leaguers with tons of service time left along with a great farm system, at least in L.A. 
So I actually put the Dodgers as my number one. St. Louis and Padres, maybe two, three right there. Uh, people talk about Seattle. I, I, I don't know about Seattle. I feel like they'd have to rip apart a team that they're building. But, look, you're willing to do that for a generational player. So, to me, Seattle's a wild card because Jerry Depoto is kind of a wild card himself. But I, I think it's the Dodgers first and then maybe the Padres or Cardinals, or he doesn't get moved at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you in that. I mean, I think Dustin May's strong rehab start is probably – you know, that, that, that probably factors in here. If I'm the Nationals and I can get du- it, dust, dust, I, I, I make this deal. I got to get somebody like Dustin Mayer, Nolan Gorman as, 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 as part of the return. What I wondered about with the Padres, and you'd certainly be closer to this situation as a national guy than I am. Now, we know that, that the Padres got into it with Max Scherzer last year, and there were some hard feelings involving uh, Scott Boris over the, the Scherzer deal. Could there be any carryover or any reluctance on the part of the Padres getting involved in something like this again with another high-profile Boris client? Or do you think that, you know, that's just too much of a conspiracy theory and that you're talking about a -a once-in-a-lifetime player? doesn't matter whether or not you particularly love the agent. Look, if if every front office that had mixed feelings about Boris (laughs) slowed down on deals for his clients, they'd never get deals. That's true. No, because look, you don't have to negotiate with Boris for two and a half years. Right. Uh, it, it could be a. It, it, that's one of the most incredible things about this. It could be a two and a half year rental, and then he gets his. Maybe at that point, it won't be five hundred million. It would be five hundred million today, but two and a half years later, it might be four hundred million. Who knows? So that's the beauty of trading for him now, as everyone likes to say, three pennant races. When he became available, I kind of thought that Mike Rizzo was just going to throw some feelers out there and then take this to the winter meetings open up his suite to 29 teams. I feel like the Yankees, even the Dodgers, the Astros, whoever, you know, they'd be more involved in December. I mean, if you have a 10 game lead in the division, do you really want to have this headache for the next, you know, uh, yeah. five days or two weeks when he, be, uh, but, but you got to explore it because it is Juan Soto. So um, yeah, I don't, I, Padres, I, I think probably want to do it because they feel like that's the only way they can win in the playoffs and they're willing to unload their farm system. At some point they have to overtake the Dodgers in Machado's prime. Tatis is coming back and just, you know, you have two and a half years to go for it with Tatis, Machado and, and Soto. I see why the Padres mm-hmm. want to do it, but I don't, I don't think Boris is, is part of the equation at all. And, and, and you, get, you get hurt feelings. Then you make up the next day. Cause that's what you have to do as an executive and as an agent. Jesse, really good stuff as always, my friend. Thanks for doing this. Travel safely and uh, enjoy the trade deadline and try to get some sleep. Thank you. Yeah, will do. And, and I will say, you, you mentioned the, the scouts looking at the uh, the Blue Jay system. I have seen Blue Jay scouts following the Cubs. Um, so I'm at Wrigley Field. I'm, I'm not in San Francisco, but pretty sure they, they went there from the people I've talked to. So yeah. it does feel like there's a lot of there's smoke and fire. But uh, I would say the same thing about the Rays scouts, um, same thing about uh, the Padres scouts. So they're, they're all following the Cubs. You, you know the teams. Yeah. Um, the Cubs have up to six or seven players teams want. So that's why the scout, the stands in the, in the, at Wrigley were full of scouts the last homestand. Awesome. So we'll see how it all shakes out. Great stuff. Thanks, man. Be well. Thank you. Yep. Take Je- care. Jesse Rogers, national baseball writer with the SBN. Sounds like Dodgers do it, so Padres can't. Well, There's I mean, I a just, little of that. There, there is, but you're getting Juan Soto. You're, you know, you're... Yeah. Oh, well, we'd rather get him Soto. than the I, Padres get him. I kind of like uh, I, I like that that whole Dustin May situation. I think that I mean, if you're the Nationals and you you've got to you got to get something to show your fans next week. 
Right? You just traded your franchise player. You really want Nolan Gorman in your starting lineup Wednesday or Thursday, mm-hmm. or you want Dustin May available to go. Gavin Lux would help. Gavin too. Lux is mm-hmm. another guy. Uh, hey, you know what time it is? It's time for Barker's Back Leg Bits. I remember Kevin could rake in the Texas League. He killed that league. Well, that's what you remember. I, I was that good of a player. That's why I went to had a you know a super long career in the big leagues. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we got a, a, an interesting trade proposal here, Uh-oh. Kevin. This is Barker's Back Leg Bits, by the way, where you DM myself. My Twitter handle is SN Jeff Blair, and we pull uh, questions out for Kevin. Jared McCorrister. He got me thinking, Jared. Hey, guys. What do you think about the Blue Jays trying to get Jock Peterson? Think about this. We don't know what the Giants are going to do yet. The Giants are... The Giants are kind of on the cusp. We know that the Giants... They're getting up there a bit. I mean, the Giants need to do... They need they need a, about a two-year sort of overhaul of their team. I, I've told you, I think the Giants, between Bogarts, Judge, and Soto, the Giants are going to get one of those guys... The Giants need a big-time player. They need you know, all this stuff. The Jock Peterson is not going to play center field for you. He's going to – it's a pretty good left-handed bat to get. Pedigree. Playoffs. Pedigree. Playoffs. Uh, other than DHing, and we've already talked about the issues you could run into if George Springer's hurt and, and you got to figure out, and, and he needs to DH, what do you do with Alejandro Kirk and days that Danny Jansen mm-hmm. catches? I don't know when you'd use Jock Peterson. You're not platooning him with the left fielder. Okay. We're not game, platooning him with Think with about Gurriel. this. Game, game one playoffs. Alec Manoa, Kirky. Who's DHing? So right there, would be right there, would be your your guy. It would work out because realistically, the only guy, only time that Kirky would have to catch in a playoff is, and you obviously want him in the lineup. So and Peterson's got, and you'd be paying. He's got three million. What is he got six million dollars? So you're probably paying three and a bit. Lefty's not throwing against the Blue Jays in the playoffs. Bunch of right-handed hitters. That ain't happening. So you're looking at him. Meaning something to that team in the playoffs. But again, how do think you think about think about it playoffs? Nothing Ooh. else. How he could pinch hit late in games off of velocity. Yeah. Rather have him doing it than anybody else that they have right now. Anybody else. Anybody. Him. So that would work. And he could DH game one. All right. That's an interesting it game. Is, that, it is that's, good. that's why I, good. that's why I that's why I asked it. And I I don't know if if uh, the Jays kick tires on Jock Peters. Probably left hand hitting outfielder. Why wouldn't you? Uh, I, I will say this, you know, if there is a move made that involves somebody off the major league roster, if it's whether it's Teoscar, or, you know, I've heard teams talk about Santiago Espinal. You know, if Ooh. you if you were to make a move, there may be moves where subsequent where other moves would have to be made as well to fill in there. But I, I ain't um, giving up Santi. But, uh, you know, Jock Peterson might might factor in there, might factor in there someplace. Uh, That's a good one, though. Yeah, it is. That's a good one. It is. DB, Kirk stock is high right now. The Jays are fairly stacked at the catching position. It wouldn't be liked by fans, but do you think trading Kirk as an option management would consider to land a some youngish high caliber pitching? It would have to be a Luis Castillo guy before you would even consider it. Yeah. If it's me right now, honestly, if it's me right now, 
I'm not trading Alejandro Kirk. I, I'm just not. Um, there are other there are other people, there are other players in this roster, Kevin. I would trade before Alejandro Kirk. I frankly would trade Teoscar before I trade Alejandro Kirk. I'm on the fence about that. I, I think if that's the the deciding factor of me getting a big time name that will help me end of this year, next year, you have no idea what Kirky's going to look like next year. No idea. All, all I know is though he's he's hitting this year. I, at this point, I kind of don't care about next year because he's going to hit for me this year. Okay. I that, that well, it'd have to be a special name me. to give him up. Is my point. Now, what I what you'd I, have to think about it. Where, where I. What I find kind of interesting about Gabriel Moreno, who we've said, you know, Baseball America named him the number one prospect, whatever that's worth. I bounced this off somebody yesterday, and um, sorry, two days ago. I keep forgetting. It was Tuesday? Wednesday. Two days ago. Two days ago. Wednesday. Uh, keep in mind that the Blue Jays looked at Gabriel Moreno or had Gabriel Moreno taking reps at, 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 at third base in the minors. Uh, keep in mind that he is a converted infielder. And, and I asked somebody, hey, you know, great. He's the number one prospect. Um, and, you know, we're waiting for the power numbers to develop. But is it possible that there are other teams? And I, the, the conversation came up because the Washington Nationals have have Kbert, Kbert Ruiz. He was the guy, the big guy in the Max Scherzer deal. He's going to be their catcher going forward. So you'd look at this and go, okay, there's no way they would be interested in Gabriel Gabriel Moreno unless they view him as an infielder. And I asked this person, do you think that there are teams out there who look at this guy and go, yeah, he could catch for us, but he could also be an infielder. And I just, I got kind of a shrug. The person said the same thing you did. Dude's got two home runs. You know, you hope the power is going to come. Ultimately, the power is going to dictate his value, I think, his value as a potential major leaguer. But it's interesting. You know, maybe teams look at Gabriel Moreno as something other than being. I wouldn't. If I were another team, pop-up times would would want him behind the plate. It's just refining the, putting the fingers down, the flow of the game. I mean, that's experience. Uh, He gets experience. He'll be better at that. If you move his barrel around, maybe that adds more power. Where he starts his barrels odd. He's playing catch up with it a lot. I mean, it's he's got bad speed because he's 22. If it's 24, 25, can he hit from where his barrel started? Probably not. So maybe if he moves that around, that adds peril, power to to where he wants to be. I moving him to third. That's a uh, I don't know. Terry Whalen, Amir Machi, again, uh, regular listener, wants to know about our reaction to the renovations that Jay's announced yesterday. Uh, asking whether it would include natural turf. We, Terry, we, we put the natural turf thing to bed a long time ago. It can't be done. Um, at, at some point, and I was at the news conference, Paul Beeston floated this idea about natural grass at the Rogers Center. Uh, I talked to someone that night, and they said, Jeff, there's no drainage. Like, there, there, it's, it's not possible. It's not a matter of, and I know the Jays did, you know, Guelph University, they did research and going grass. This guy said, Jeff, there's, there's no drainage. It, it, it. It can't happen. It just can't. It it can't grow. You know, hydroponic license. He said, it doesn't matter. There's no drainage. It doesn't matter. So forget the natural grass. That ain't ever happening. Uh, what did you think of the renovation? I liked it. I liked the the 
fans being closer to the players. I like the players being closer to the fans. Do you like fans. the fact that we're going to have an asymmetrical outfield uh, fence? I'm a fan of putting nooks and crannies the in the outfield The higher bullpens will be a, a the question mark for me. When you're that close to fans, you got to be real careful. Like that, that's the one thing now I understand. You know, Toronto fans in the past have had a knack of throwing stuff on the field. I, I too, understand you know? it, it depends on which team is the closest to the fans. Now you can maneuver that around mm, and sure you could. make sure that that happens the way it's supposed to happen. I, I like it. You know, it's about time. Make adjustments. This is a number we you have to work with. It's 300 million. That, that's the number. Yeah. You got that to work with. You do it the best you Try can. Try to make it look a little brighter. Absolutely. Um, it, it's warmer to fans. It's going to be more sunlight. I like yeah. it. No, I'm with you. That's it for Blair and Barker. Mr. Barker and myself will be doing Blue Jays Talk Sunday. We'll be back on Monday as we get close to the trade deadline. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the baseball. Follow Sportsnet.ca. Sportsnet 590 the fan of Sportsnet for all your trade rumors. Have a great weekend.